Well, good morning. Good morning. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving week and weekend. I hope everybody enjoyed um, Ohio State's big win yesterday. Uh, <clears throat> the Ohio State men's basketball team won the Emerald Classic yesterday. Is there another game? I don't know if there's another game on yesterday, right? Uh, no, if uh, whether you're uh, in the room or you're online watching, thanks for joining us today. If today is day number one, if you're our guest uh, today, we're grateful that you have chosen uh, to join us as well. You have caught us in week number five of a series in the first half of the book of Daniel that we are calling Exiles. Now, the reason for that is that this whole book really is about this period of Jewish history where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, 605 BC, he brings his army from Babylon, he assaults Jerusalem and overthrows it. And when he does, um, essentially he steals a generation of Israelites, young people, about 10,000 or so of them. He, uh, he takes them 900 mile trip back to Babylon, he relocates and is gonna try and re-educate uh, them, essentially to try and make them Babylonian, but what we've seen throughout the six chapters, today's chapter six um, in the book, is that um, actually for a small group of those uh, young people who are taken, we've seen Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over and over again in the first um, five chapters of the book. We've seen them impact Babylon more so than Babylon impacts them. And they learn a critical lesson um, in the culture. They, they learn to kind of live on that uh, razor's edge, if I can say it that way, of belief, right? They, they didn't fully assimilate into Babylonian culture. In that, what I mean is they didn't al allow Babylon's culture to influence them and their views and their beliefs. And at the same time, they didn't separate completely from Babylonian culture either, right? So they didn't separate, but they didn't assimilate either. They lived right on that razor's edge. They essentially were exiles, right? They looked at themselves as citizens of their heavenly God of Yahweh, just in a different place. That's helpful to us because we need to learn to live like exiles, not people who completely right, assimilate into the culture or people who completely separate from the culture, but rather we live like exiles, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter four. We live on earth right, as citizens of heaven for the sake of the places and spaces that we live in, the places where you and I live, work, and play. And we can do that because faith is about how you live, not about where you live, right? And it doesn't matter where, what place, what space that you're in, you can live life uh, like an exile. It's more important what God is doing in you than what is going on in your circumstances um, around you. And so, uh, for us today, we're going to get to uh, this chapter, Daniel chapter 6, that we're looking at today. And whether you're a Christian or not, believer or not, you know this text that we are going to talk about today. Very familiar story of Daniel in the lion's den. And we're going to see three things um, in, this, in this story, in this narrative. Number one is that your worst days are behind you because in every situation, in every circumstance, in every lion's den... God is with you, which means three, your best days, your best days are ahead of you. So what happens in Daniel chapter six when we get there is that there's a new king. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. Babylon has been overthrown. Uh, Darius the Mede is now in charge, and he reorgs the country. 
So it's Darius is the king. Then there are three leaders underneath him. And there's 120 leaders. under. So there's, so there's Darius. There's these three leaders that are referred to as satraps, right? And there's 120 leaders. And Daniel is one of the three key leaders right underneath, um, right underneath the king. So if you've got a copy of scripture, turn over to Daniel uh, chapter s- uh, 6. And we will begin reading there in verse uh, 3. It says this. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit uh, was in him. And the king planned to set him, him being Daniel, over the whole kingdom. So right, the reorg was Darius, then three. But Daniel stands out so much among the three that the king wants to promote him, right, to kind of like to vice uh, president. Uh, but then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error was found um, in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection uh, with the law of his God. So basically, Daniel's about to be promoted to vice president and these other leaders don't they don't like that idea, right? So they say, look, so we've got to find something. We've got to dig into his background, and we've got to find something. And so that's what they did. They CSI'd him, right? They looked at his life. They investigated everything, and they couldn't find, they couldn't find anything financially. They couldn't find anything relationally. They couldn't find anything at work. And they said, listen, our only hope to find something against Daniel, his only weakness is how much he loves his God. And if, if we're going to get him, That's the only place we can get them. And so they go after, they attack Daniel, and they're going to get him put into a lion's den based on his personal relationship with God. And really, the story of Daniel and the lion's den and some of the other narratives that we've talked about earlier, they bring up um, maybe a controversy that you think through sometimes, this idea of the miracles of the Bible. We've talked about this a little bit uh, before, but I think it's important for us just to touch on the, the idea of miracles, these things that come up sometimes in the Bible when we read them and go, could that really happen? Like, and the reason that we do that is because we can't reproduce them. We can't make those kinds of things happen. But just so we're on the same page, a miracle is something that happens. Uh, it's a temporary suspension of the natural order, the natural way that things occur. And essentially, right, there's only two socio-spiritual views in our country, essentially. of people, according to uh, Gallup research uh, in our country, believe that there's a God. That's one group. The other 19-ish percent um, believe that there is no God, that things have happened according solely to evolutionary biological processes, and we are where we are because it's been kind of survival of the fittest. Now, there are other views. I get that. But those are the two major views in our country. So if you're in the 81% and you believe that there's a God, it's essentially, I mean, if he created the world, there's, there's nothing to him working a miracle periodically, right? To temporary, temporarily suspending the natural order of things. It would be something, you know, akin to a big yawn, right, for him because it's his creation. He can do with it what he wants to. If you're in the other group, if you're in the 19% that says, look, I don't buy in to anything that doesn't apply scientifically that, that, you know, I can't reproduce in a laboratory setting, right? That's the basis of the scientific method. If that's what you say, 
there are some problems with that view, right? Um, just like on the other side, we can't reproduce them and make them happen, but over here in fields like uh, mechanics, for example, the last 20 to 30 years, it kind of leaves um, scientists even going, oh, I don't know, right? There's this big laser out in Seattle, and you can take that laser and shoot that laser at a crystal and break up this crystal into its smallest parts, like parts that you can't even see with the naked eye. And you take some of those parts and you take them to North Dakota, right? And you take them over to North Dakota and you put them in a laboratory in North Dakota and you start moving those little broken parts and pieces around. Like you move it this way and that way or maybe you spin it in a circle and you spin it in a circle. What immediately happens is that the parts that you left in Seattle start spinning in a circle at, in the same direction and the same rate. And scientists are like, yeah, we don't know. We can't explain it, right? The, one of the first people to ever notice this, and this was in one room, not like Seattle or North Dakota, but in one was Einstein. Einstein, he, he, saw, he saw this in a laboratory, and you know what he said? It's spooky motion. That's what he called it, spooky motion, right? Now, and by the way, if you're, you're probably thinking, Dean, we didn't know you studied quantum entanglement theory. I didn't. I read it on LiveScience.com. It's on the internet, so it's got to be true, right? It's got to be reality. But listen, I would just say, if you say, man, I believe science is my, is my thing, and the best you've got to describe it is spooky motion, right? I think you have to admit that to some degree, we all have faith. The question is, where is it, right, that you and I, that we're going to place our faith? And these satraps and these leaders say, listen, we have got to get Daniel, but the only thing we've got is him in relation to his God. So look down in verse 7. And all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. So they go to the king and they say, listen, king, we think you should create a law punishable by death, capital punishment, by throwing someone into a den of lions, right? Now, this is not like going to the Columbus Zoo, right, and seeing the lions. A den of lions was like a cave. And what they would do, right, they would uh, have lions would be in the cave. There was a, a cage or a gate that they would drop down from the middle from a hole in the top. And so they put somebody in the den of lions, seal it up with a rock, pull the, the gate up out of the top, and it was just, it was a form of capital punishment. And, and the, the leaders, they all come to the king, minus Daniel, which should have been a clue, right, to Darius that something was up. But he's not paying attention because they say, king, nobody should pray to anybody but you for 30 days. And Darius, um, this is just a reminder that the decisions that we make fast are almost always the worst decisions, right? Darius says, you guys think that no one should pray to anyone but moi for 30 days? You all are, and they say, yes, king, sign it in the law of the Medes and the Persians. And in their world, once it was signed, it couldn't be unsigned. It couldn't be undone because once the king signs it, to unsign it would mean that the king had made a mistake and their king couldn't. He could not make 
a mistake. So the king signs it into law, and here's how Daniel responds in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, this key phrase right here, as he had done previously. Daniel's response is that, oh, there's a new law enforced by capital punishment. If anyone prays to anyone but King Darius for 30 days, is the punishment to be thrown into the lion's den? And it's almost like Daniel, he's like, oh, well, I guess it's time for me to go home and pray to Yahweh. And he goes home and he opens up his windows and he prays just like he always has. And the, the satraps, they had set up a little watch Daniel, you know, schedule, right? And they see Daniel praying. One of my friends, uh, one time I heard him say it. He said it this way. He's like, they went skipping off together. We caught him, we caught him, we caught Daniel praying, right? And they go and Darius realizes what a terrible decision that he's made. But what we learn from Daniel is this idea, the first principle, that your worst days are behind you. And I know you're thinking, Dean, that doesn't make sense. Like what you're describing and what you're saying, those two things, they, those two things don't go together, right? Those two ideas. I didn't say your worst circumstances are behind you. I said your worst days. And, it's, and there's a difference between those two things. From the moment Daniel set foot in Babylon, he has learned one of the most important human, maybe the most important um, principle that we can learn as human beings. How to love God so much that you believe that he is with you in every single circumstance. And from the time Daniel is 13 or 14, he's learned this over and over and over and over again until now he believes it to the degree that he knows what he's walking into and he still relies on it and he still rests on it. He believes what Paul said in the New Testament that these momentary light afflictions are working in you, forming in you a more eternal weight of glory. He believed that to the degree that he knew, he understood the potential of today, that God is with him no matter what it is that he's walking into, no matter what it is that's going on in his life. So in verse 17, Daniel, um, Daniel gets thrown into a den of lions. And here is how, uh, here's how the king, Darius, uh, responds. Now, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. Poor king, got no dancers right that night. Uh, and sleep fled from him. And then at the break of day, the king arose. And he went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. And he cried out in a tone of, of anguish. You see Darius, how much he's reliant on Daniel. And the king declared, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, get me out of here, you jerk. That's actually what I would have said to the king. Uh, Daniel said, O king, live, uh, O king, live forever. This brings up the second idea, that in the lion's den, God 
is always with you. That what Daniel experiences there in the lions and guys, it's, it's important for us to learn the power of today. Because conservatism, right? Conservatism says that our best days are behind us. You hear people who talk about the old glory days a lot, the good old, the good old, the best days are, are in the past. But progressivism says, no, no, our best days are ahead of us, that we're getting smarter and smarter all the time and we're applying all of this, this knowledge and wisdom. So we're just basically gonna set up this kind of secular utopia out into the future where we become kind of, kind of elite and everybody else is gonna kind of just die off around us and we're gonna set up this kind of, of perfect society. And Christianity says, well, there's some truth in, in both of those things, the good old days were good, right? They were, they were glorious because God's glory was being shown in them. And there are days out in front of us that are gonna be incredible, that are gonna be great, but that's because God is restoring all things to be what they ought to be. But the best day is today because today is the only day you and I can experience the manifest presence of God in our lives. Today is the best day. Today has more potential than any other day in our lives because the presence and the spirit of God can do things in and through us that, that we can't do on our own. The, the satraps, the, where, where they got off track is they, um, they made a critical error in thinking through and thinking about Daniel. They thought Daniel was just like they were. They were like, oh, well, I mean, if we look at the cookies on his laptop, we're gonna find out that he looks at the exact same things that we do, right, on the internet. If we, if we, if we sneak around to his house, we're gonna find out that he yells at his family just the same way that we yell at our families. If we go interview all the people that he works with, what we're gonna find is there's gonna be some people there are gonna have, oh, this guy's got a terrible attitude. They thought Daniel was just like they were. But Daniel looked at his day differently. He, he saw it differently than, than they did. And so from the lines, and this is, this is Daniel's story. This is what Daniel says in, um, cha in chapter six, verse 22. Daniel says, my God sent, sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me. Now remember that little phrase, they have not harmed me. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. Daniel says, listen, God sent the angel. He shut the lion's mouth. They didn't harm me because I'm innocent. But what's interesting to me about that is, you know, Daniel's not the only, he's not the only person in scripture who experiences trumped up charges against him. He's not the only person who experiences the consequences of other people setting him up. When he, was, when he was righteous. He wasn't the only righteous man to experience those consequences because Jesus, right, our Savior, experiences the same thing. But here's, here's the difference between the two. When Daniel gets thrown into his lion's den, he prays and God rescues him. Jesus gets thrown into his lion's den, if you will, just before the cross, he prays. Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup from me. From the cross, he prays, my God, my God, why? And it feels like heaven is just silent. 
And yet, you see the similarities between the two. See, why, why would Jesus, why would, he, why would he do that? Why would he go through that? Why would he, like Daniel, know that he's going, he's walking into his own lion's den? Because the essence, think about this, the essence of sin, the core of what sin is, your brokenness, my brokenness, your bad decisions, my bad decisions, the essence of sin, right, is that man, you and me, would substitute ourselves for God that we would put ourselves in our place. From week one in this series, we said that one of the greatest struggles that you and I have is that we wanna be the kings and the queens of our own kingdom. We wanna run the show in our lives. We don't we not only think we can do it, we think we can do it better, right? Then God will say, the, the essence of sin is that man would substitute himself for God, but the beauty of the cross is that God would substitute himself for men and women, for you, and made that he would take our sin on himself and at the same time apply his righteousness to us. To see us as his own, as his sons, as his daughters. So here you've got Daniel, right? Thrown into the lion's den, sealed up with a, with a rock and, and left for dead. And they take the broken body of Jesus off the cross and they put him in a barred tomb in a cave, seal it up with a rock, and he's left there for dead. But the scriptures say that three days later, there's not only a miracle, right, in Daniel, but Jesus, who's the, really the ultimate Daniel, God miraculously raises him from the dead in an event that we call the resurrection. And as Jesus comes out of the tomb, the power of that is that not just that he has power, but that in relationship with God, we too are given the same power, this power to change, this power to be different, to have a different kind of future because God is alive and at work in us and through us. And so because of that, Daniel develops what our forefathers um, hundreds of years ago called persevering faith. It's faith that sees you not to things, but through things, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Not to the valley, but through the valley. And one of the great things for me, I'll just say the blessings for me about being a pastor here, um, is that I get to see people uh, develop and grow uh, persevering faith. A lot of times people um, come and they'll say, hey, would you pray with me about this or about this? And you know, a fair number of times those things are about job transitions. And people say, hey, look, I've got this job opportunity and I'm gonna get a, a promotion, it'll be a raise from this position to kind of this position and it'll involve me making a move. Typically it's a move to a warmer climate, right? And I'll just tell you uh, from being a pastor uh, over these last, you know, whatever, 20 or so years here, whenever I pray with people about a promotion to a warmer climate, God normally says yes to that, right? They normally make their way to that. And that's, that's fine if that's what God wants um, for you. But I'll say it's also great that we have people who are part of our church family right now who have said no to more money and warmer climates who said no to dream jobs in other places because they are looking and they see God's activity in their family. They see God's activity in their marriage. They see God's activity in their workplace. And they say, you know what? I'm, I'm not gonna leave this. I'm not gonna leave what God is doing because this is more important than more money or than a warmer, than a warmer climate. And people are growing 
this persevering faith. I had a couple, um, they sent me an email or a text, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, young couple, young kids, and they said, hey, listen, this generosity uh, thing that, that we talk about as a church, we, you know, we haven't really engaged that, but we're, we're, we're ready. We're jumping in. We're going to start tithing, and we're going to see what it is that God wants to do in our family. And it is, it's fun. It's a blessing um, for me to get to see people growing that kind of persevering faith. And so as Daniel grows that, here's what he lands on at the, end of, um, at the end of verse 22, the second part of it. He says, and also before you, O king, I have done uh, no harm. Your worst days are behind you because in the lion's den, God is with you, which means what? That your best days are ahead of you. What we see about Daniel is that Daniel would rather be in the lion's den with God than out of the lion's den without God. And he says, King, by the way, um, I have done no harm. Now that's, it's interesting when you read, you know, I remember what I told you earlier. He said, listen, King, the lions haven't harmed me at the beginning of verse 22. And he gets to the end and he says, I have done no harm, which almost sounds like he's saying, listen, I didn't hurt the lions. Like I've been in here with them all night, King, but I didn't, I didn't. And I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. What is he saying? I think what he's saying is, and King, listen, no, don't worry, no, no vengeful spirit on my part towards those other satraps, leaders, because I think he probably knows what Darius, who, you know, this king who's really mad at these guys, he probably knows that Darius is thinking about carrying out. He's like, king, listen, I don't, I'm not worried about that. Listen, Daniel at this point in his life is at least in his 70s, probably more like his 80s. And he has just grown this incredible faith that works. And I think that's important for us because at least for some of us in the room, we have this, um, we have this way that we kind of look at our lives when we look backwards. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I kind of, kind of peaked in my 30s and 40s, you know, like kind of the peak of my achievement as I was kind of climbing the ladder. And then I got into my 50s and 60s and it kind of became about security and the protection of my assets. And maybe I'm going to travel a little, uh, but then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to move on to my 70s and my 80s. And I'm just going to kind of wait around until I kick the bucket, right? Till, the, till life is over, right? For me. And the great thing about this story, Daniel's greatest moment I mean, if I said to you, tell me one thing about Daniel, the, I'm, I'm almost sure the first thing you would think of would be, oh, it's Daniel in the lion's den. The greatest, the moment that Daniel is the most well known for is in his 80s. So what? So your best days are not behind you. They're out there in front of you, right? Your best days, everything that God can and wants to accomplish in and through and even for you are ahead of you. And even if it's not in this world, it's in a different world because remember, we're exiles and this is not, this is not our home turf. I'll just uh, read you this reminder from, uh, we'll go back one series to the series we just finished on the Revelation uh, that we called New. Revelation chapter five, verses one through five, they say this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven 
seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll, so that um, he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Remember this moment that we looked at in Revelation chapter 5, where Jesus, um, they, they cry out, who can, who, who's worthy of this? I think this is the deed to the earth, this scroll. Who can, who can own the earth? And Jesus takes that scroll, his rightful place in kingship and ownership over all, over all the earth. But these verses, they refer to him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now that's interesting for this reason. Because it's not just Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, but the scriptures, the apostle Peter, for one, describes his enemy as a lion, roaming, seeking whom he may devour. A very different kind of lion. One that's described in the gospels that would rob, that would steal, and that would kill. So in essence, all of life comes down to two lions. One who loved you, the scriptures say, and gave himself for you, but that God displayed his love for us in that while you and I were broken, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And one who would devour your life and torture you at every opportunity. All of life comes down to two lions and really comes down to which of the two we will choose. And what we have learned from Daniel throughout this book, and certainly in chapter six, is that success in the crisis comes from success in the process. As he had previously done. Daniel stayed in rhythm. He didn't stop serving. He didn't stop giving. He didn't stop gathering because things got kind of topsy-turvy in his life. That's what I would have. I mean, that we find ourselves in crises moments in our lives and we kind of get thrown. I mean, if that had been me, I think I would have rethought everything. I think I would have said, you know what? Um, I, think, I think I'll go home and I'll pray, but maybe I'll just leave my windows closed for, I don't know, 30 days or so. Maybe I'll work on my secret prayer life, right? Because the, sec the secret to prayer is prayer in secret, right? So I'll just keep my, and there's no hesitation. There's no vacillation with Daniel. It's windows open as he had done before. And so you and I can remain committed to the rhythms in our lives and not because we have to, but because we want to. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah, our God substituted himself, put himself in our place to empower us to change, to be different, and to develop persevering faith. Where we learn in chapter six, the same thing that we talked about and learned in chapter one, that tests create trust. And so I'm gonna pray um, for us here in just a second. 
And then, then we are going to sing a song that we learned last week called Trust in God. And it's kind of this mesh of this old hymn, right, and some new lyric that come together to talk about the reality of how you and I can grow, not just to love God because he died for us, but that because he died for us and because we love him, we can trust him in our lion's den. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we are grateful to you. We come, we lay our lives down just like um, just like this song says, we're, we're going to surrender ourselves to you, just like we've already sung today, that we know how the story ends. That God, because of that, because we know our future, God, today we just want to declare our trust and our faith in you and what, we're, what you're doing, even though we don't always understand the plan. We believe that you've got it and that you've got us. And so God, because of that today, we want to be a people who are leaning in and who are loving you and one another well. Today, God, we just ask that you grow our capacity to do that, that these momentary light afflictions would grow in us a more eternal weight of glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.